الجزيرة بودكاست. Hi, Malika here. Today, we're bringing you a story that's been on our minds during the biggest U.S. sporting event of the year, the Super Bowl. Here's Hala Mohyeddin. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to say, finally, it is time for the Super Bowl! The Super Bowl, it's the biggest event on the US sports calendar. And American football is run by the richest professional sports league in the world. It pulls in more money each year than any of the five biggest European football leagues. So much glitz, so much glamour, and really everybody just gearing up for the big game. But behind that glitz and glamour is a game that can take a punishing toll on its players. Oh, what a hit. Look out, Lance Smith. My goodness. That was vicious. There's growing research that links football with long-term brain damage in players. The most feared letters in football, CTE. The former NFL running back now believes he suffers from CTE, diagnosed with CTE after he had died. And the NFL, the National Football League, has been accused of avoiding responsibility, especially toward its black players. I'm Hala Mahiyadeen, and this is The Take. Growing up, my early heroes were all of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's Carlton Hasselrig, a former NFL player, during an interview in 2016. There were times when Coach said, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. You'll play NFL, you'll play in the NFL. And he did. Carlton was drafted by his favourite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, in 1989. After five seasons in the NFL, he retired and went back to his hometown in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm coaching high school football for the Greater Johnstown High School and also assistant wrestling coach for Greater Johnstown High School. But just four years after this recording, Carlton died. He was 54 years old. My name is Isaac Solitarov. I'm a documentary producer and director. Isaac knows a lot about Carlton. As a fan of American football, he followed his career. Carlton Hasselrig is arguably one of the greatest athletes that America has ever produced. And Isaac featured his story in the documentary Bloodsport that he recently produced for Al Jazeera's show Faultlines. It focuses on the heavy cost American football players pay after the game is over. For many Americans, football is sort of injected into your bloodstream at an early age. I watched it from the time I was probably three or four years old and, you know, sort of was a passive spectator in the sense that I never really questioned the violence of the sport. Talk to us about Carlton Hasselrig. Why did you decide to tell his story? So Carlton started out as a wrestler. He has a career record of 143 wins. That record includes a winning streak of 122 consecutive matches without a single loss. 
but decided in his senior year of college that he wanted to go to the NFL and give it a shot. And within two years, he was the best player at his position in all of professional football. What position did he play when he played football? He played offensive lineman. And can you just explain what that is? I mean, because I'm a Brit. When I talk about football, I think, you know, of soccer. So it's we're talking a different language here, Isaac. We are, we are. I'll see if I can try to translate. The offensive linemen are the grunts in the sport, and they are essentially smashing their bodies together. And oftentimes these guys are smashing heads together, and because they're wearing helmets, the brain is being constantly jostled around inside the cranium. And because the brain doesn't have nerve endings, it doesn't experience pain. But eventually, years of smashing his body into others on the field caught up with Carlton. One of the people who saw his pain up close was his wife, Michelle. When I'd ask him to do something, and he, he would ask me over and over again, what did I need again? Michelle says years after Carlton retired from the sport, she began to notice changes in his behavior. Driving somewhere and going to the wrong place. Instead of the grocery store, he might be sitting at the stadium thinking it's ready for practice. He accidentally put uh, the dirty laundry in the freezer and thought it was the washing machine. But his mental lapses soon grew more troubling. He would talk to himself or be in the basement. You can hear him like yelling something, but we wouldn't know what. And then sometimes he would just go away and leave, and I wouldn't see him for a day. You spoke to Carton's wife, Michelle, and she and her husband were both convinced that his condition was caused by CTE. So what is that? So CTE is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It is a disease that presents when the brain sustains the trauma that you have in football, some brains release a tau protein that slowly strangles the synapses along the frontal cortex. And the frontal cortex is the part of the brain that is what is responsible for our moods, it's responsible for our impulse control, our short-term memories. One of the leading experts in the US on CTE research, Dr. Robert Stern from Boston University, confirmed this in the documentary. Concussions are just at the surface of what's seen. What about hit after hit after hit with the brain moving around? And all of the research so far indicates that it's the repetitive nature of the blows that lead to risk for later life disease, including CTE. So in Carlton's case, it began with terrible depression and then sort of irrational rage. I already know you're not going to take care of me. As Carlton's outbursts became worse, Michelle began to record videos of them on her phone. I started all these recordings so people would believe me. Nobody would believe me. Help me. Dad! Father! Those days right there were every day. Every day for at least six months. That bad. This when I die, is this the day? 
In 2020, just a few months after Michelle started recording, Carlton died. But his official cause of death made no mention of his brain injuries. Carlton Hasselrig, former Steelers player, wrestler, and Johnstown native, has passed away. Hasselrig died of natural causes at the age of 54. Now, Isaac, CTE is quite tricky to diagnose, isn't it? Because Carlton couldn't confirm he had CTE until he died, yes? CTE is diagnosed after death. There is no way to diagnose CTE in living tissue. So once a person is dead, their skulls are cut open and they biopsy a part of the brain and they stain it to see if it has the clinical marker of tau protein, which is how you know that somebody has had CTE or has died with CTE. It is now being found in soccer players from heading the ball, obviously among rugby players. It does seem to be that there's the highest incidence of CTE among American football players and boxers, the people that sustained the most head trauma in the course of playing their sport. Just last week, U.S. researchers at Boston University said they had found that of the 376 former NFL players they've studied for CTE so far, 92% of them had it. These are players who pride themselves on their ability to withstand pain and who do not complain So they're not going to tell you that they're suffering. But because Michelle had the foresight to record Carlton in his dying days, we got to see just the ravages of the disease on a very personal level. It's quite a difficult watch when you see that in the documentary. It sure is. Just when you see firsthand the mental anguish that Carlton's going through, and and you could see it in his wife as well. When did people start to realised that there were health consequences from what seems to be an increasingly violent sport. So CT was first discovered in 2002. And the NFL's response when doctors first said there is a link between this novel brain disease and football was to basically deny that there was any link. Here's the former head of the NFL's concussion committee, Dr. Ira Kasson. He was answering questions back in 2007 on HBO's Real Sports about the long-term risks of playing football. Is there any evidence, as far as you're concerned, that links multiple head injuries among pro football players with depression? No. With early onset of Alzheimer's? No. Is there any evidence as of today that that links multiple head injuries with any long-term problem like that? In NFL players? Yeah. No. Their response was a classic corporate spin job. And just like Big Tobacco, they then undermined the scientific research that was finding these causal links between CTE and football. But a string of high-profile suicides among retired NFL players began to put a spotlight on CTE. Beloved athlete Junior Seau was found dead in his Southern California home of an apparent suicide. Former Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez suffered from the most severe CTE ever discovered in someone his age. 27-year-old committed suicide while serving a life sentence for murder. The autopsy on former NFL player Philip Adams revealing 
He was suffering from an unusually severe form of brain disease, CTE, when police say he killed a prominent doctor, his wife, and four others. Players who suspect that they had it were taking their own lives, often violently with a gun, but rather than shooting themselves in the head, they would shoot themselves in the chest and leave a note saying, please donate my brain to researchers as a way to better understand this disease and try to prevent it from happening in the future. After the break, we'll look at what the NFL has and hasn't done to protect its players. If you need in-depth analysis of news and current affairs in one of the world's most misunderstood and complicated regions, join me, Sami Zaydan, every Thursday on Al Jazeera's Essential Middle East podcast. We're talking to Al Jazeera Faultlines producer Isaac Solotarov about how playing in the NFL left many former players with brain damage. In 2012, more than 4,500 of them filed a class action lawsuit. They said this was a dangerous workplace. You better than anybody know how dangerous the sport is, and you did not reveal this to us while we were playing. And so, you know, we're suing you for, for fraud and for concealing the risks of the sport. Carlton Hasselrig joined that class action lawsuit before he died. The end result was that the NFL settled and they created a fund that would provide compensation and sort of baseline medical assistance to players who could prove that they had a certain degree of cognitive impairment. When the NFL reached that settlement, it commissioned a study to estimate how many people might qualify for compensation. It found that as many as one in three players could potentially have CTE. So the NFL's real task in terms of structuring the settlement was how to shield itself from the massive liability it faced from CTE. So how were the NFL able to dodge this massive potential CTE payouts? The NFL concussion settlement established a set of tests, neurocognitive tests, that players would take. It didn't factor in the behavioral symptoms that we so often see in CTE, but it was just the sort of very empirical, either you have it or you don't, based on whether you're scoring lower on these, basically these IQ tests, than what the standard mean is for your demographic. That is your racial demographic. The practice is called race norming, and it meant that players' cognitive tests were judged on whether they identified as black or white. Race norming is based on the notion that there are cognitive disparities between whites and blacks, that whites start with a higher degree of cognitive powers than black players. So black players and white players were evaluated by a different set of criteria. And that criteria was predicated on the notion, essentially, that black players are less intelligent than whites. Black players had to score worse on their tests than white players to show the same level of impairment because they were assumed to have a lower baseline. None of this was required by the terms of the court settlement, and black players make up roughly 70% of the NFL. That had the effect of 
disqualifying thousands of black players from receiving an award that they were entitled to because this race science was unjustly used to deny them their benefits. We interviewed Charles Golden, who was a neuropsychologist. He did this on behalf of the NFL, administered these tests. And they said, this is the most offensive, backwards looking science that he could imagine. Dr. Golden said the NFL pushed him and others to use race norming, even though it was never required by the settlement. They put pressure on us to change their, our minds. And when you refused, they put increased pressure on you. They never said, we will cut you off, but you're always aware that if you irritate them, you're, you may not get referrals. So if you're dependent on the money, mm. it becomes a much bigger issue. One of Dr. Golden's patients sued the NFL for discrimination over race norming. It took a year for the NFL to finally say, you know what, this was wrong. We're not going to do this anymore. It's a stunning new development in the landmark NFL concussion settlement program. The National Football League has agreed to end a practice, so-called race norming. And it took another year after that for them to begin rescoring players who had been race normed. That included Carlton Hasselrig. Initially, Carlton was denied any compensation. And after he died, his wife Michelle faced a desperate financial situation. I'm about to be homeless soon. I have nothing. I have nothing. I'm losing everything. But I'm going to be honest with you. Right now, as we speak, I have $5 to my name. There's a misconception here about what professional football players get paid. Yes, there are these big quarterbacks who make millions and millions of dollars a year. But in order to stage this incredibly violent spectacle, you need lots of this big supporting cast. And these guys are sort of the grunts. And they're making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And the average NFL career is three and a half years. And they end up sort of limping away because of injury. Isaac and his documentary team used the same software as the NFL to see what Carlton's scores would look like without race norms. So scoring him as if he were white, and he was found to have a massive cognitive impairment that would have entitled him to a major award from the concussion settlement. The NFL recently agreed to look at Carlton's case again, with the race norms removed. Well, I'm happy to report that Michelle did receive an award from the NFL that it was timed with the release of our film. How fortuitous. <laughs> How fortuitous. I can't say with all certainty that the release of the film triggered the award, but it certainly feels that way. The NFL has now paid out more than $1 billion to players since the concussion settlement was reached. In that same period of time, it has averaged roughly $13 billion in revenue each year and aims to make $25 billion a year by 2027. But, you know, again, there are thousands of players who are probably deserving of an award who have not received it, and they do not have resources to put enough pressure on the NFL to get them to provide the compensation that they're owed and deserved. 
But it's not just concussions. I wanted to hear from Isaac about another recent incident that made headlines worldwide when a player collapsed in the middle of a game. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest after making a tackle. That's not what any of us want to see and everybody's around him and just hope that he's going to be okay. How did you respond when you saw that happen? What I felt was this is an incredibly jarring experience for people to see in real time the lethal nature of the sport. But I've been seeing how lethal this sport is basically over the last decade in this community of retired NFL players, many of whom are dying in slow motion from CTE. You know, the people who could really put pressure on the NFL are us. The millions of people that watch the sport, who are entertained by the sport, and who are responsible for the NFL's ad dollars. And despite the fact that we know that the NFL has this abysmal record, we continue to watch. And look, I'm guilty of this. I watch, my wife watches, my four and a half year old daughter watches with us. It is a moral dilemma every time I watch football. And it's a moral dilemma for anybody who watches the sport. I'm not an advocate for ending football, but I feel like what we could do is really pressure the NFL to take responsibility for these players when they leave the sport. And that's The Take. You can watch the full Fault Lines documentary Bloodsport on YouTube or check the link in our episode description. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn with Ney Alvarez, Nagin Oliai, Chloe K. Lee, Amy Walters, Ashish Mahotra, and me, Halamahiyadeen. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El-Malek and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back on Monday.